Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. So, Guy, Nick Mason's source full of secrets, of which we are um, two-fifths, right? Are, we're going back out on the road in the summer across the UK. We are. We're, it's all of June, so brace yourself. What's it called? It's called the Set the Control Store. What a brilliant name. Who do you uh, think could have come up with such a great name for a tour, Gary? I wonder. I think yeah. I'm looking at him, right? But then right. I did come up with uh, Nick Mason's source of secrets. You did, and in fact, that came up in a podcast then because you were inspired by Woody Woodman's Is You Boat, weren't you? I was, yes. Anyway, anyway, but enough of that. So join Nick, Guy, Lee Harris, uh, Don Beacon, and me as we celebrate the early years with you know that incredible it's an incredible body of work isn't it the early pink floyd it goes up to just before dark side of the moon goes up to 1972 with all the film soundtracks all the sid stuff stuff you've never mm. heard stuff that no one's ever echoes, heard frankly obviously echoes is the big sort of you and, know uh, what is that what would you call it magnum opus yeah i love a magnum don't you yeah i never met magnum was <laughs> <laughs> Um, anyway, tickets are on sale now and you can buy yours at uh, myticket.co.uk. And Kilimanjaro Live presents Nick Mason's Sourceful of Secrets, the Settler Control Tour. So I, w- I was quite a mad Alice Cooper fan when I was a kid. I was a big Alice Cooper fan. I remember back at primary school, it was a, it was a big thing because obviously I'm that much younger than you, Gary. But I remember Welcome to My Nightmare being a really, that was a really serious album. Yeah, know? well, I, I go back to probably School's Out Right, which had that really bizarre cover, but I remember it was the cover was was uh, was the school desk with all the. It was the school desk, yeah. But I I remember thinking I've never seen. Is that what school desks look like in America? Because I'd never seen one like that. All right, because where did you go? You you had you you all stood up at your school, did you? Prior's <laughs> <laughs> primary mate. No, uh, but inside inside, remember, was a pair of paper knickers, girl. Knickers, yeah. Panties, they would have been called. With I'm not sure you could yeah. get away with this now, but uh, no, uh, simpler times. And his <laughs> albums, the albums were always really beautifully presented because Billion Dollar well, Billion Babe, Dollar Babe is that fantastic snakeskin wallet that you opened up. Yeah, with with the money in there and the um, money in there. Yeah. What's interesting, I don't know. I might get is that how because Bob Ezrin was so much a part of their story, and it what's of you know of, of him and Alice getting each other, and it's very interesting seeing actually how much of that stuff with Bob seeped into the wall. Yeah, I was thinking that because there's, you know, there's, there's a track where at the end there's a judge shouting and then you the hear... The trial, the... yeah, the trial, which is actually co-written by Bob. And there's the whole thing well, in, the flesh, which is very, well, in the flesh, which isn't a million miles from... It's much darker, but but hello, hooray, that same sort of thing. Oh, and, uh, and hello, school kids singing. Of course. <laughs> there's so much to ask Alice about and he's just about to enter the room and we only have 30 minutes with him. Let's go. Welcome to the Rock on Tours. Okay, guys, I'm ready. But it's a big tune for sure. I actually wrote that originally for Tina Turner. Of course, I had gone and found 
Joni Mitchell down in Florida and brought her back. You know, what people forget about Bowie is that he was such a kind man. Remember me? I'm in a band now. <laughs> it's called Roxy Music. You know this thing about the 10,000 hours of experience? Oh, yeah. To, to get good at yeah. something. When we recorded Arnold Lane, we'd done about 50 hours. The Rock Hunters podcast with Gary Kemp and Guy Pratt. Hello, gentlemen. How are you? <laughs> How beautiful to see you. Thank Fantastic you. to see you. Where are you coming from? I'm in Arizona, where it's 80 degrees today, and wow. everything is open. What? Wow. Is that a good thing? Or? Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I got my shot yesterday, my first shot. Yeah, my vaccine yesterday, and then I get another one 21 days from now. But, you know, hey, yeah, everybody's going to get it anyway, so. When you say everything's open, you don't mean the theaters, so the concerts aren't on, are they? Not concerts, no. My movie theaters, um, all the malls are open. You know, it's, uh, it's pretty loose here. Yeah. You must be feeling bulletproof now. Uh, well, you know, when I came back, I was in Germany and uh, in last March. And we, we finished the show in Germany and they told me, we're closing the borders in 24 hours. Get out. <laughs> you know. And I got back to Phoenix and everything was closed down except the golf courses. Wow. <laughs> I, I, I don't care who this governor is. I don't care if he's a cannibalistic Taliban. I'm voting for him. <laughs> But how has it been for you? Because you, you're a man who's used to working nonstop, aren't you? You know, to not be on the road for you is anathema, right? Really unusual, really unusual. We had to cancel 190 cities, 17 countries, you know, that kind of, we do, and that's normal. That's a normal year for us between my band and the Hollywood vampires. You know, that's two tours that I'm on. And uh, so it's very unusual to be home for a year. Oh, you know, you've been on tour, you know what it's like, you know, three weeks off is like a long time, you know, but when, when you're off for a year, it's like, wow, I have to re I have to learn how to be a human again. Your wife's thinking, <laughs> why am I with this guy? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, the thing about it is Cheryl's in the show. She's also in the vampires. And that's how you met. In fact, you met your wife on tour, didn't you? That's right. She auditioned for the uh, welcome to my nightmare show. And uh, she was heads and tails above every, we were looking for Broadway dancers, not rock and roll dancers. And she was a, uh, uh, you know, she was like the prima ballerina. And uh, immediately we picked her up and said to her, because she was just such a good dancer. I didn't really even meet her till the tour started because the rehearsals were so intense that you never had time to really talk to anybody. And then when the tour started, she was, <laughs> she was a giant tooth at one point in the show. <laughs> with legs coming out in my heels, right? Oh, and I'm that, that would do it for me. That would do it for me. Yeah, well, right yeah. And I'm sitting across from her on an airplane, and I look at her legs, and I went, you're the tooth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm That's the right, tooth. So you basically got to know her in five-minute segments during the show every night. Exactly. She played, what, eight different characters. She was a dancing skeleton. She was a, a snake. She was this and all. And finally, you know, we had a couple of days off, and I went, I, I got to get to know some of these people. <laughs> <laughs> well, we hired, you know, we hired two girls and two guys, which ended up being four girls. But... <laughs> Alice, it's a this new album is is all about you going back to where your band was spawned. It's a confusing bit of geography, really. You start in you start in you're born in Detroit. You move to Phoenix. Yeah, you go to L.A. I mean, we I'd love to talk to you about. Or all the canyon stuff that you somehow this weird bunch of weirdos that you you like yourselves in the middle of a of a hippie canyon seems so yeah. strange. But then you go back to Detroit and you become the band we know. I mean, 
the album well, they're all about that period well what it, what it was was a born in detroit and um i had asthma so i had to get out of there it was too cold so they moved to arizona and uh we moved to arizona and i, it, I grew up i grew out of the asthma but in high school i'm painting a house one day in the summertime and all of a sudden i hear she loves you yeah 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 and i went we were listening to four seasons and the beach boys you know and i went what was that i, I mean i never heard about the beatles and then all of a sudden an hour later i heard please please me i want to hold your hand and i just went what is going on you know I called my best friend, Dennis Dunaway, who ended up being the bass player in the band. And I said, what is, what is this go? What is this music? And then he started, we started understanding who the Beatles were and we immediately started a band and uh, ended up being the spiders and we were the biggest band in Phoenix. So we ended, in fact, at one point, you're going to love this. We were the Yardbirds band. I want to go back to your first performance. Your first oh, performance, yeah. though, wasn't yeah. it when you rewrote a load of Beatles songs at That's your high right. school? Now, is That's there right. a recording of, does that exist? Is there any record of that? I wish there were. That's because that would be a, that would be something that would be, we, we did, um, we were all on the track and cross country team. We were all distance runners. Right. 1,500 meters, 3,000 meters. And we were all lettermen, you know, I mean, we were the big deals, four-year lettermen. And we got up on stage, put the Beatle wigs on, you know, and kind of mouthed, uh, I'll beat you, yeah, 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 I'll beat you. And we changed it to, to, to track and cross country. Just, you know, we thought that's funny. That'll be funny. And right then we had the bug. We just looked at each other and went, we got to really do this. You know, we've got, we got to find two guitar players. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, oh, here is something really strange about it. We were all in journalism also. We were journalism students. So oh. in the journalism room, there was a guillotine. And if you were late on a, on a uh, if you were late on a, you know, uh, an assignment, they put you in the guillotine for five minutes. Oh my so God. the very first time I'm 16 years old, I'm on stage and there's a guillotine and there's a casket there because a friend of ours came out of the casket and introduced us. So was that like prophetic? <laughs> Yes. Was wow. that prophetic for what we were going to end up doing? I, I swear that happened. <laughs> I think so. But you know, you were all very into your art as well, weren't you? I mean, because because the yeah. art in the performance art that you guys ended up doing had a lot to do with Dada and, and surrealism. Absolutely. Felt- yeah. That that had with that was in the DNA somehow. We we were a, we we learned every Who song, we learned every Yardbird song. We learned you know, so we were a pretty good band, pretty good cover band. And on top of it, we couldn't help from adding that bit of theatricality to it. You know, in other words, if I found a mop backstage, that could be a girl with the hair, you know, that could be something to ride on. That could be a weapon that could be. So it was guerrilla theater. We couldn't afford actual props, you know, um, that developed later when we had money <laughs> where we could actually do a show. <laughs> uh, but, you know, I, I, the funniest thing was we were 16, 17 years old. We were the Yardbirds band and we're opening for the Yardbirds, the real Yardbirds with, you know, <laughs> Jeff Beck and everybody. How in this did that feel? You must have, were you it, terrified of? You know, oh, well, yeah, we, we got to open since we were the house band. We opened for the Birds, the Hollies, wow. the Love and Spoonful, every band. We were the opening act for them. Right. But then the Yardbirds come in and we go, oh, my gosh, we do all Yardbird songs. What are we going to do? So we got up there and we did the whole set, <laughs> oh, yeah, set. And in the back of the room, I could see Keith Ralph and Jeff Beck and they're all giving us a thumbs up. Yeah. Yeah. And then they got oh, on right. stage. I hope they liked it. <laughs> oh, they loved it. No, they loved it. And they got on stage and blew us off the stage. 
they were the Yardbirds. Come on. You know, they were the original <laughs> Yardbirds. And they were, you know, maybe the best live band next to Paul Butterfield that I've ever heard in my life. You know, you know, Alice, you know, you're, we're, we're sort of so in awe of when we hear those names you were supporting, but everybody was kids then. Even the oldest person in rock was a kid. Yeah. Know? Oh, yeah. No, uh, Jeff Beck was 19. This is a youth movement. Yeah. Yeah, it was. And we were so in, you know, just absolutely awed by these bands. I never heard a band sing with tighter harmony than the Hollies live. Yeah, they were yeah, amazing yeah, yeah. live. And the Yardbirds were. You know, you think, well, the records are great. I wonder if they're going to be that good live. They were better live than they were on the record. You know, I mean, it was one of those things where you really got to see them at their best. Yeah. Yeah. And of course, Graham Nash ended up staying there, didn't he? In, in L.A. when he went to L.A., just he, he stayed there. But but you did you went to L.A. then with your band, didn't you? Well, that's where the record companies were. So we finally decided we got to go to L.A. The very first people that we met were the Doors and and the Mothers. Now, was it, uh, talking of which, yeah, that's right, because uh, wasn't it you who came up with the line, I woke up this morning and poured myself a beer? Yeah, that's right. I was sitting there with Jim. Jim was writing something, and he, we were both drinking. Ow. And, you know, and he says, oh, what's up, man? And I said, well, I got up this morning, got myself a beer, and da-da-da-da-da-da, and he's writing it down. <laughs> Every time I hear did that line. Get did you no. ever get a piece of that? No, no, no. But I know, I know it's my line. <laughs> That's incredible. But so you we, ended up, we all know we all know. We you ended up you ended up in the Zappa set, didn't you? With with the with the GTOs, you know, these fabulous women that were into the most extraordinary fancy wear costumes and oh yeah, they were amazing. They were amazing. They were yeah, but what seems amazing hard. is that, is that how these kids from Phoenix go to LA and walk straight into that. I mean, how you no. managed to get straight. No, we starved. We starved every, you know, every weekend we'd play a bar or any place we could play. And basically we finally got a, a, a house gig at a place called, uh, it was out in, on Malibu, you know, the Cheetah Club. And there we are at the Cheetah Club and we're, we're the band, except that we're now we're opening for Pink Floyd. And I didn't know who they were. You know, even no, I mean, it was one of those things where we got a, we finally got into the whiskey a go go. I mean, I looked at the thing and it said Alice Cooper and, and I said, Who's Led Zeppelin? <laughs> <laughs> we were both unknown, totally. That would, have been, that would have been Sid Barrett's one trip. That was Sid Barrett's one trip to America, wasn't it? You know what? They came in and we were already very hip to uh Piper at the Gates of Dawn, so we knew who Pink Floyd were. Mm -hmm. And when we saw them, we, we you know, we were fans of theirs. Yeah. Just that first record. But like anybody else, you come to America and you're not making money. You're just making enough to get your name out there. And they ran out of money and moved in with us. And what? so Alice Cooper and Pink Floyd for what? two or three nights, two or three nights in Malibu. Yeah, we had a, we had a house where I, I get up in the morning and there's Sid Barrett and he's looking at a box of cornflakes. And apparently they're dancing for him and they're they're doing a whole show. The box of cornflakes are. And we're going. Okay, I, sorry, I've, I've played with Pink Floyd for 35 years. This is the first time I'm hearing this. This is. Oh, if you remember, ask him, ask uh, Nick, you know. Yeah, I will. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's, that's an incredible story because Pretty's for You with the first Alice Cooper album, and we've sort of right. jumped a bit here, really. Yeah. But that has a lot of Sid and Piper yeah. on it, isn't it? Well, Sid was so cool, but he was so out there. I mean, he was just, you know, I mean, you could talk to the other guys. Sid was just in another realm. He mm. didn't really talk. He just kind of like, you know, uh, he was a satellite, you know, he was, but he was so creative. Him and my guitar player, Glenn, were the only, they would go in a bedroom with two echoplexes 
and just play sounds back to each other. To have had that recorded. Yeah. 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 And it it wasn't, but they did, they did, they did come stay with us for a couple nights. And uh, in fact, we were doing an audition for Gazaris and they said, we're going to make brownies. (laughs) Oh, (laughs) see where this is going. And halfway, they were sitting there in, during the audition. They were in the afternoon. The, all the Pink Floyd guys are sitting there. We're on stage auditioning, and I fell off the stage three times. I was I was so high on these brownies, <laughs> and Dennis was like falling over the drums and everything. And they were laughing their heads off, you know, because we weren't we were used to smoking and we weren't used to eating it, you know. It's a different buzz. <laughs> show and i mean i've seen some old footage your show was so theatrical even then i mean you were wearing the i mean i guess the gto girls had dressed you up and pamela had that kind of eyelash makeup didn't she on that she she must have put on yeah we we were doing makeup before that but but what they did was they came in and they said look you know why do you want to look like everybody else you know well well we didn't you know we were we, we were certainly not like every other band. In fact, we were probably people came to see us in LA just so they could say they let that they walked out on us. And, <laughs> you know, it, it was, it was sort of like, we were the bad vibe. Everybody was on acid and we didn't mind a little violence on stage. We didn't mind a little bit of, you know, in your face violence, real, real switchblades, real blood, and the audience, I mean, would run for the doors. They would say they hated they right, hate Tell it. us about, but this, and while dressed in Ice Capades outfits. Yes, right? yes. Well, Ice Capades <laughs> came into town. Explain what that is for our English listeners. Okay, the Ice Capades, uh, the garish, you know, horrible, you know, stuff. Uh, they were leaving town and they were going to get rid of all their old costumes. So they were selling them for 50 cents a pound. What you see on the back of Pretties for You is all Ice Capades outfits. Because to us, it looked cool. It was sparkly and, it, you know. Uh, and this is, this is before Roxy Music did their, you know, famous yeah. you know, cover. It's, bef- it's before Bowie. I mean, I don't know. I'm a bit worried. worried. I wonder about that timeline. Because I know that Bowie played the Roundhouse famously wearing some sort of glitter in about 1970. But you guys were doing it then as well. Oh, yeah, yeah. In fact, Bowie used to come to the shows and bring the spiders and say, this is what we should be doing. Yeah, because, of course, you were the spiders. At one point, yeah, weren't you? yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and were spiders, they were the Naz as well, which is meant, both mentioned in the Ziggy Stardust song. Yeah, and wow. that's, isn't that funny? That, and, and I got along with David really well. You know, I mean, he was, a, he was a mime artist, I think, when he came to see us. You know, in the in the thing, and well, it's interesting because all those English bands, right? That you love, you talk about the Who, but then we talk about the Bowie and yeah. music and all that. They all came from sort of art school backgrounds, so the art yeah. thing was built in. Whereas you just had the art thing without the art school. That's right. We were we were just the, we were big Salvador Dali fans. Yeah, you know that was our thing. That he was our he was our you know our idol. And later on, we got to actually work with him. Yeah, which was the, one of the most bizarre things ever. You know? Yeah, but we would love to talk about that that hologram thing, which seems... It was... Here was Dali. You know, you expect him to be bizarre. The very first time we meet him, Shep and I are at the at, at the um, one of the hotels in, in New York City, and he's going to come in. We're sitting there at a table, and all of a sudden, seven nymphs come in. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> so I don't know, male or female, honestly, don't know. But they came all in. Yeah, they came dancing into the room. And then Gala comes in, his wife. Yeah. And she's in a full Fred Astaire tuxedo 
top hat, white gloves, cane, spats, the whole thing. And then the Dali, uh, the Dali is here. And he's got giraffe pants on. And he's got a pair of uh, Aladdin shoes that kind of like, you know, twirl up at the end. I mean, and he was just what you wanted him to be. He sits down. And this, is, orders, breakfast. And this is breakfast, right? Yeah. He sits down, he orders everybody a drink called a, called a scorpion, which is every kind of alcohol in a shell with a, with a lilac or something floating in it. And then he orders himself a glass of hot water. He reaches in his pocket, pulls out a jar of honey, and starts pouring the honey in the glass. And Shep and I are like, you know. And then he takes a pair of scissors out and he cuts the flow of the honey. <laughs> and, you know, Shep and I are like, you know, Max Bialystok and Bloom. You know, we're going, he's got a, he's, you know. He's got a honey. Yeah. Like, what should we do? It, baby. Yeah. Well, we were, we were both going, he's got scissors. I know. I know. Just, just <laughs> go along with it. <laughs> but, but this is extraordinary validation for you, isn't it? Because what you do is, is, is not just music. You know, you're not just a rock performer, you're a performance artist as well. And, and to be, to have the greatest performance artist in the world come oh. to you and almost pass yeah. the baton. Well, he, he went to a show and he said, this is surrealism. This is based on me. He was very egotistical and I got it. That was over the top egotistical. This is all about me. And, you know, we went, yeah, it's about you. <laughs> you know? Groucho Marx saw the show and thought it was vaudeville. And so, <laughs> you know, I mean, everybody that saw it, saw it a different way. And, but Dali, so I worked with him for a week and you have to understand he speaks one word in Italian, one word in Spanish, one word in English. And you're, you're getting one word out of five words for a week and we got this whole project done and we do the press conference and they said, what was it like working with Dali? And I said, I have no idea. I didn't understand a word he said the whole time, you know, and he stands up and he goes, perfect. He says, the perfect form of communication is chaos. And I looked at him, I went, you speak English. (laughs) (laughs) Well, of course I do, you know. (laughs) Selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. This episode of Rock on Tours is sponsored by AG1, the daily nutrition supplement. AG1 is a comprehensive and convenient blend of over 70 vitamins, minerals and other vital ingredients like gut-friendly bacteria, antioxidants and much more. 
Just one scoop of AG1 daily has all the nutrients you need to support your mental performance, energy levels, heart health and immune system. To be honest, it's pretty vital stuff for us because when you've got a life on the road and you're short of time or you're too busy to plan and prepare healthy meals, you're getting your podcast together, you're being shouted at and it's just a nightmare. AG1 gives me all the good stuff and helps keep my energy levels where I need, ready for showtime or doing the podcast and with a nice vanilla taste. It keeps me focused, feeling good, feeling healthy with its daily dose of vitamin C and zinc. And it's so easy to use. Just one scoop a day gives me over 70 carefully selected ingredients. Simple. Trusted by Olympians, F1 drivers and the rock on tours. So if you want to replace your multivitamin and more, start with AG1. Try AG1 and a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free AG1 travel packs with your first subscription. Go to drinkag1.com slash rockonteurs. That's drinkag1.com slash rockonteurs. Check it out. <laughs> so, I mean, let's go back to Detroit before all that happened. And your band basically get kicked out of L.A. Yeah, yeah, we didn't, we didn't, we didn't, uh, yeah. But what's, didn't <laughs> what's interesting is this boy who's formed a band in Phoenix has, is still appropriate for Detroit. Because when you go back to Detroit, you realize... Actually, this is the music I've been making all my life. You know, and, and it started at a very small seed in Detroit when I was seven years old. I saw Elvis Presley on, on the Ed Sullivan show. I immediately went in my room and started, you know, imitating him. My uncle, all my uncles walked right out of Guys and Dolls. I had Ratsy Bowers, <laughs> uh, Jocko, and my dad, Mick. These guys spent- the here. <laughs> Don't get me started, Alex. They were at the track every day. Right. Okay. So finally, my uncle Jocko comes in and he played uh, Telecaster, right? And he says, you like Elvis? And I went, yeah. And he says, then you're going to love this. And he puts on Chuck Berry. Oh. That, I, that was the first record I ever heard that was driven by guitar, electric guitar. Mm-hmm. And I went, what was that? that? That immediately, that was the seed right there. It, it, to this day, Chuck Berry still the greatest lyricist of all time. I mean, if, if he can't think of a word, he makes one up. <laughs> don't, don't give me no botheration. <laughs> the coolerator was full of ginger ale. The coolerator, what's that? You know, <laughs> he could tell a story in three minutes yeah, and a, yeah, yeah, with a punchline. And he did it a hundred times every time he did it. So that was the route. When we started playing the, uh, the original band, what did we learn? We learned Chuck Berry. Yeah, you know that was the that's the basis of all hard rock. When you get to and, and there's a fantastic thing on the new album, Alice, where there's you do that great song, Detroit City, where there's that fantastic name check. Yes, you do of ever, and it must be because the the because now you know with a historical perspective, looking back at just everything that was happening in Detroit, all those bands at the same time. Yes, you know, and the none of us, Five, and, Iggy, every, you know, yeah, this, we were this, all and we were all local bands. None of us were a national band. We were all local bands. Every weekend we would play, it would be like Alice, Iggy, and the Who. But it would oh. be a place that I know, but but back then the Who didn't play arenas. They played yeah. ballrooms that was maybe eleven hundred people. And then the next week it would be um, you know, the, the MC5, Bob Seeger, Alice Cooper, and the Kinks. 
Wow. You know, but this happened every weekend, and we were best friends with all these bands. But also the interesting thing I want to know is at the same time, right? I mean, how a, how a city can absorb this much. But at the same time, on the other side of the street, you got Motown. Yeah. Was Were the two things kind of mutually exclusive, or did you feed off? Because that was such a joyous, you know. Oh, it was. It was the most fun time because every band was a great rock and roll band. We 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 finally showed up at this thing called the the um, uh, Sagatuck Pop Festival, and Shep said the first place we get a standing ovation, we're moving to. <laughs> so we show up three hours early, and there's the MC Five. I'd never heard of the MC Five, and they were a show band. Yeah, and they were political, and they were White yeah, Panthers, yeah. and they were they were in your face. And I went, wow, that's that's pretty powerful. Then some guy named Iggy and the Stooges come up. And they're three chord rock. <laughs> it's just dun 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 dun. And there's this guy that's just sort of Mick Jagger, but he has no shirt on, no shoes. Half the time he's naked on stage, and he is the ultimate punk. Yeah. But it's great, and the theater of it was so good. I went unbelievable, you know. And then we went on with our kind of theater, and they loved it. They loved the whole idea of what we were doing. And that at that point, they realized I was from Detroit. So I was the long lost brother. And we moved there. And that, that, all those guys were our friends. You know, I mean, we all became really good friends. Was it, it, was it not that point, though? It was in L.A. when you famously threw the chicken out into the audience and everyone Actually, was, it was Toronto. It was Toronto. Yeah. That well, was the Sagatuck Festival, wasn't it? No, no, no. That was the Peace and Love Festival in Toronto. <laughs> and and here was the, here was the great thing we we're going on between my uh, the doors and john lennon and yoko right at the very end of the night and at the very end of the night we go on and we open up this feather pillow with a co2 cartridge in the middle of this chaotic song and it looks like a snowstorm up there and i look down and there's a chicken on stage no i didn't bring the chicken Somebody in, the, somebody in the audience went, I got my, let me see, I got my wallet, I got my keys, I got my ticket, got my chicken. And so never, never have been in on a farm in my life. It had feathers, it had wings, it should fly as far as I was concerned. So I picked it up and I threw it in the audience and, you know, chickens don't fly as much as they plummet. <laughs> the audience tore it to pieces. Oh my God! So you were actually innocent here. You mean oh. I'm not? It's not like Ozzy Osbourne where he bit the head off. No, this to me was there was white feathers and there was a white chicken. It was perfect. It was great. It was something. If somebody's going to take the chicken home and name it Alice, it's going to be their pet. I didn't think at all they were going to tear it to pieces. Now the kicker to the story is this: the first eight rows were people all in wheelchairs. Oh. Right, they're right. The ones that, right. They're the ones that destroyed the chicken. Oh, right. Oh. oh. <laughs> so that made it even more bizarre. Frank Zappa calls me up the next day and he goes, did you kill a chicken on stage last night? And I, I said, no. And he says, well, don't tell anybody. They love it. Alice, is that what you wrote under my wheels? <laughs> uh, no, no. no, that was the, the, the stage must have been a complete because the, the inner stage <laughs> manager in me is wondering sure if John Lennon is about to come on, you've got a no. stage that's got to be cleaned up, which is no, no, not at all. <laughs> they loved, they absolutely loved it because Yoko's a you know performance artist, she's, course, she's a yeah. so she saw this and thought, 
That's great. We had the doors on one side when we're doing this and John Lennon on the other side, and they're cheering us on. They loved the fact that everything was covered in feathers. You know, that, that was just added more to the, let's break away from they're just the same, same old stage. Now, when you come on after Alice, you got to deal with all this stuff. <laughs> so, Alice, we we don't have long with you, unfortunately. But it but it but it's it's great that you've you've decided to go back to Detroit to make this new album and to with Bob Ezrin, who Guy knows well from Pink Floyd, and 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 Wayne Kramer is even on the record, isn't he? We you know when we decided to make it was not going to be a conceptual record. Uh, and Bob and I work in nothing but conceptual records <laughs> for like 14 albums were all conceptual. And I said, let's just write 14 really good hard rock songs. And then that took us to, well, where does that come from? Detroit. So I said, well, then let's go to Detroit. Let's write the album in Detroit about Detroit. And let's use, re let's record it there and use all Detroit players. And then we got a real, then it became a concept. Yep. So now we've got, we can plug into Motown a little bit with thousand dollar high heel shoes. You know, we turned that into a Motown song. We had a blues song with Bonamassa playing it. You know, we had punk, we had, yeah, but it was generally a hard rock guitar album in your face, you know, and but I must say, Alice, you sound incredibly vital and dare I say it sort of young on it. I mean, your, yeah, your well, voice is completely there. It's fantastic. Well, you know, I never smoked. And I, I quit drinking 38 years ago. So that had a lot to do with the fact that I can, I can still go and do five shows a night. I mean, a week, you know, and, uh, and not be tired. And how was Wayne Kramer meeting up with him and, and, you know, getting the MC5 vibe? Well, the thing I noticed about it, this, and you'll love this because you've been in the studio with different players and you, you can feel what they're, what they're about. And all of a sudden I got all these Detroit players in there. I got uh, Johnny B from, you know, from Mitch Ryder on drums, who is, who is the premier drummer in Detroit. And uh, I got Mark Farner, you know, from, and so here's a great band. And I realized I'm sitting there listening and I go, you know, there's a lot of R and B in how they play. They're playing rock and roll, but you can hear those little licks, that little flavor of R and B in there. Syncopation in there. Yeah. And you sit there and I went, any other time I would have said, oh, no, we can't do that. On this album, I said, absolutely, leave it in. Let's, because I want this to feel like Detroit, you know. And, and for the, we didn't write it all about real people. I, I created characters that oh, would no, have that, been. That great, I hate you one. That's, um, yes. was... Well, that was the original band. And <sighs> when bands break up, they generally hate each other. Our band you didn't, <laughs> our band didn't, was not like that. Yeah, we where, would, where would lawyers be without bands, you know? Well, we, we went, you know, in different ways. We, we didn't divorce as much as we separated. We always played on each other's albums. We always stayed in touch with each other. Oh, we were best friends. That's so nice to hear. Yeah. So when I said, guys, let's write an, uh, uh, some songs, they wrote Social Debris with me. So we decided, let's write a song where each one of us roasts the other guy. So I'll sing, I'll sing this song. I'll sing this about Dennis. Dennis will sing about Neil. Neil will sing about Mike. You know, and then at the end, our, our late guitar player, Glenn Buxton, was like, we really hate you for leaving that space on stage. Oh, and that was like the heart, you know, the heart terror right there. But I mean, oh. you, we really couldn't be Alice without Glenn. No. And as yeah, a kid yeah. growing up, Glenn was I remember, you know, he was the, the other than you, Alice. He was the guy I was I was looking at. I mean, can, can I still cash this in, Alice? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm holding up uh, the billion dollar note that was in the billion dollar babies uh, record, which I still have. I have to admit one thing. 
the British audience is what really sent Alice, which really made us, because they did not mind. Well, it would be. You, were, you were so made for Britain, I've got to say, you know. But, but everybody felt we were from Britain because of the, the style yeah. of the way we looked and everything like that. And the fact that we got so much negative press from Mary Whitehouse and Leo Absey, you know, <laughs> yes. they tried to ban us. And I kept sending her flowers and sending him cigars because every time we said something, <laughs> we would sell more records, you know? <laughs> yeah, I mean, panties from heaven at the Hollywood Bowl. I mean, what parent wouldn't yeah. love that? <laughs> Absolutely. We stalled a lorry in Piccadilly Square on a Friday with a giant picture of me with nothing but a snake around me. And it was the front page of the London Times. The I next remember. And the great thing about it was they loved it. They loved the Hollywood publicity stunt. And we just went, this is great. London gets it. They get the joke. They get, they get the sense of humor, you know? So we literally broke out of London. You know, they, they, uh, you, you were so important to me. I mean, schools out was a massive record when I remember being on, on my school holiday and all singing schools out. Now I don't like it because my kids are all at home because they're not allowed to go to school and I'm like school homeschooling. Yeah. It was very prophetic. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Alice, it's been an incredible treat to speak to you. Oh, thank you, guys. Thank you. Say hi to Nick for me. We will. Oh, will do. Will do. Yeah. Good luck with the album. Oh, thank you so much for talking to us. And yeah, the album's fantastic. We will see you guys in London, hopefully August or September. Uh, well, that was uh, nowhere near enough. He's busy. He's busy. He's a busy man. He's a busy right? boy. He's actually got an album. He's got a very, very good album to uh, to promote. So um, you know what? He looks he looks exactly the same, doesn't he? As when yeah. as when we bought the records in the early seventies, and when he first came on the scene, this yeah. guy has an age. He's so full of life. You were right. What you said. Uh, and uh, I've got a bit of trivia for you. Ah, go on. Which I, I obviously wouldn't have time, but well, it's, it's of no interest to Alice whatsoever. But uh, for some reason, I'm going to humiliate. Bit of interest to our to our listeners. Um, I think it might be. Which is that in 1985, Crocus, who I always thought were German, turns out were a Swiss heavy metal band, right. uh, did a cover of "Schools Out," and I am in the video playing an American high school student. Are you? How old were you, been? Uh, 22 or something. 23. It's because your dad was an actor. No, it's just because I knew the producer. You know, and that's what you oh, did. Oh, I see. You everyone was always in everyone's videos. I see. I thought Crocus were a 70s band. No, no sorry. No. no. I said 1985. God, did you? No, I wasn't actually at school. I was grown up and everything. You know, I'm not <laughs> listening. Whenever you speak, I don't normally listen. You know? No, I know. <laughs> anyway, how do you to get Alice? We got Alice on the show. We got Alice we on did. the show. We're going somewhere. Hey. You've all been good. Whoever you are out there that's been on our show, you've all been good. And we <laughs> That's our ticket out of here. <laughs> that's the end. So next week will be equally as fantastic. Don't you worry. It, uh, we're just building this. Yes. Um, and thank you for yeah, listening. We haven't, we haven't peaked yet. We haven't peaked yet. Stay with us. Stay with us. But this is a good reason to uh, subscribe and do all of those things that are really nice, and like like leave a, leave a review and all of those things, because we are loving this, especially in lockdown. All right. It's good night from me. And it's good night from him. <laughs> <laughs>